Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, where the rain is falling and the Knicks did as well. A 105-94 loss to the Atlanta Hawks. An abject disaster across the board. Julius Randle, another awful game, 2-for-15. R.J. Barrett, not much better, Alex. Any... I'm not even going to say anything positive. Uh, what else are we going to talk about in this episode? Yeah, what was what was Clyde's phrase for during this game? Oh, it was the asininity continues. Yeah, that's pretty much the summary of the game. Randall, as you said, terrible game. RJ not playing great. Neither of them getting minutes down the stretch. Poor Derek Rose dragging the carcass of this team, uh, trying to get them a win somehow, some way. And not succeeding, so we got a bunch to talk about. I'm sure we're kind of just going to go where the the wind takes us with this one, but it's coming up next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play broadcaster. All the way over there in New Jersey, he is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland. And we are far apart, Alex, but we are unified tonight in, in watching a nightmare play out before our eyes. We were, we were assured, like everyone else, that Julius Randle's uh, 1.75 game slump was the aberration of all aberrations. It turns out it was not. It continued. He had... Um, I mean, right there with with game one and game two, his worst game of the season. Once again, the Knicks were able to stay in it and even take the lead at the end of the first quarter, thanks to the brilliance of Derrick Rose and a, a very strange sequence where they scored six points in the final two seconds of the quarter, capped off by a Randall three. It looked like he was going to get it going. Uh, spoilers, he did not. The second quarter was horrendous. The Hawks at uh, at the end of the quarter, before Derrick Rose had a really nice layup, went on a 22-3 run where the Knicks' offense was utterly inept. Everything that had worked for them to some extent in the previous two games had abandoned them, and everything that hadn't worked still was not working. There was no R.J. Barrett. There was no Randall who, who, looked, who continues to look bemused by the Hawks, who maybe I'm missing something tactically that they're changing up but seem to be playing the same defense and just getting the same results from it. Uh, third and fourth quarter, the Knicks played well enough on offense, but the Hawks turned volcanic from distance. They became one of eight teams in NBA history to shoot, um, as well as they did 59% from three on over 25 attempts in a playoff game. Pretty miraculous. The Knicks didn't provide much resistance on either end. The final score, I would say, where the Knicks only lost by 11, was hardly indicative of how competitive this game was, Alex. Uh, from the second quarter on, it felt like it was over, and the Knicks fall down 2-1, to one, and now they're in what is essentially a must-win situation in Game 4. But where do you want to start? Yeah, I think we should probably start with Julius Randle, unfortunately. Um, you know, I wish that it wasn't the story, just how bad he's been playing. 
Uh, but there was a stat that just came out. I'm actually looking for it right now from Ian Begley and that he, or I should say it came from ESPN. Begley retweeted it. ESPN stats and info. Julius Randle is 13 of 54 field goals in this series for 24.1%. It's the worst field goal percentage by any player in the first three games of a postseason in the shot clock era with a minimum of 50 field goals attempted. That's horrendous. That is just like the type of, uh, you know, accolade you do not want on your resume. And the thing, I I mean, I don't want to get to sports talk radio here. I know generally we try to stick to the basketball stuff and less to like the armchair psychologist type crap. Um, But the way that Randall's talking and, and kind of conducting himself as far as all this is a little concerning to me. Um, I mean, the, the money quote that came out of the, the, you know, post game with him was, we just had one bad stretch in the second quarter, about five, to six minutes was the difference in the game. And I mean, that's partly true. Uh, the Knicks gave up a 22 to three run in the second quarter, which more or less buried them. And they were never able to make it competitive after that. I think the closest they got was maybe, maybe 10 points or something like that. I mean, I don't even think they got it inside of 10 after that run was done for the whole rest of the game, even though they kind of showed some signs of life at times in the second half. And it was just, I mean, it's concerning the way that Randall not only is playing, but the way that he's conducting himself. It's just, I I don't know if this is just his way of coping with not playing well, because we saw sort of similar things last year where it was always just kind of like, we just didn't play well. That's it. You know, even if we saw a game where Randall was actively costing the Knicks a game last year, it was just kind of always like, well, the team didn't play good. We'll get them next time. And that's fine. But it's just, it's so different to hear that from Randall after this year, where we all sort of like, like fell for him because of his like ability to own up to his mistakes. And, you know, the Players' Tribune piece that's been quoted 10 zillion times where, you know, he talks about going to the gym with Kobe and, you know, about how he realized, you know, what he had done wrong with the Knicks last year and, you know, how he, uh, you know, the shortcomings that he had had, you know, as a player here last year and, you know, how how hard he worked to get better this offseason, all that other stuff. You know, it's just there was this certain amount of like humility to to him, you know, in this off season and during this season. And right now it just kind of seems like they're just kind of making excuses like, Oh, well, we just didn't play well. So we lost. And it's like, that doesn't really fly in the playoffs, man. Like you know, and it's on Randall to kind of take the brunt of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like he is the superstar of the team. So it's kind of on him to say like, look, the team didn't play well, but also I'm not playing well, you know? And it, cause he realizes that he's the engine of the team. Like, you know, that this is true and he's just not really acknowledging that. And it's, it's not even like, he's just, you know, like he's making exclusively good decisions and taking exclusively good shots and things just aren't falling for him. I mean, he's legitimately making really bad decisions on the court and reading the coverages from Atlanta really poorly, not finding guys in their spots. Like he made such a habit of during the regular season and I don't know, I just want to see more out of him. I want to see more out of him on the court, and I want to see more. I, I want it to seem like he cares more, honestly, like on the court. It's just there's a lot of that bad body language type stuff of like hanging his head after misses and, you know, just looking dejected and whatever. And 
you know, I understand he's human. So you're going to feel those emotions sometimes, but that, that was one of the biggest differences this year versus last year was that he never seemed to let that stuff get to him this year. And now all of a sudden it's the playoffs. I don't know if it's just that, you know, this, this mental load of being in his first playoffs after seven seasons in the NBA, um, you know, and being tasked with being like the alpha dog on this Knicks team, if that's sort of getting to him or, or what the case is, but it's just, I mean, it's clear that the sun's not right with him right now, you know, as far as his, his, like his motivation and his, his mental state and everything when he's on the court. Um, I don't know if it's just, he's got the yips. I don't know if it's a, a crowd thing. I've seen some people saying, Oh, well, you know, is it that Randall just had a really like, almost like, almost like the bubble last year where we talked about guys, bubble numbers, like did Randall just have a really good year in front of empty gyms or like, you know, 10% capacity gyms and now can't do it in front of a big crowd. Who knows? I, you know, I don't know. I'm sure that the crowds are an adjustment for everybody in some way, shape or form. Um, I don't think we can make those sort of sweeping conclusions yet, but the seeds are starting to be planted and that's concerning. Um, So I guess that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't want to be overly morose. You know, it's, it's game three of a potentially seven game series. The Knicks could come out and win the next game on Sunday. And I would be sitting here saying they bounced back. It's awesome. And if Randall has a great game, I'll be forgiven in the moment. I mean, everything was forgiven literally just the other night when he had as good of a second half as he did. And we were like, oh, there it is. There's our Julius. He's back. All it would take is a, a big game where he does that for a full game. And maybe our our tunes totally change here. But as of right now, you know, I'm, I'm living in the moment. And, it, you know, these sort of things are, are kind of weighing on my mind a little bit, Gavin. Yeah, you know, I, I think clearly part of it is on Julius Randle, right? I mean, there's no, a, a really big part of it is on Julius Randle. He's, he sucked. The moment's been too big for him. Um, to your point, I think it's I think it's in his head. I don't I, I, I know I was saying towards the end of the season we have to be wary about the toll, the amount of minutes he played all year is taking on him and maybe finally catching up. There could be a little bit of that, but that wouldn't explain why his jumper has mostly totally gone away from him. Um, but beyond that, I think there are some very real infrastructure issues that without Randall to cover them up, we're we're seeing some of our fears before the Knicks even hired Tom Thibodeau about what this offense would look like. Um, I want to get into that, but first we have to tell people a little bit about Built Bar. Alex, I'm going to throw it over to you. You said it last time. I'll let you say it again. Maybe maybe that's all Julius needs at the end of the day is, is a little bit of Built Bar. Yeah, I think we need to get him a care package. You know, if it is indeed fatigue in some way, shape, or form, which I don't think it is either because he's had a lot of rest lately compared to during the regular season. I think he's actually had too much rest lately. I think Julius needs to... They need to schedule a back-to-back uh, playoff game here because he he always played well in back-to-backs and stuff. But anyway, maybe we, sh- we should ship him a, a care package and see if maybe that helps. Get a little something in his stomach before the game because Built Bar comes in nine delicious flavors. Uh, you could probably find one, listener. I definitely have found my favorites. Julius could find a favorite. There's a flavor of Built Bar for everybody. My favorite's coconut almond. Your favorite might end up being mint brownie, raspberry, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, so many great flavors to choose from. And if you, if you want to try them all, you can always order a mixed box, which will give you two of each of the nine flavors. And the best part is they taste like candy bars. They're legitimately the best tasting protein bar I've ever had. But they're not bad for you. They have 17 grams of protein, which for those of you keeping score at home, that is a lot of protein compared to just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. So if you want to get some for yourself and, you know, try to, Get big and strong like Julius Randle, I guess. 
uh, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, we are back on Locked on Knicks. And yeah, Alex, I was just I was about to say before the break, I I think there there are some systemic issues showing through for the Knicks, right? This isn't just, oh, Julius um, completely lost his talent for the series. I, I think, again, that's an element of it, but I think it's, it's more so I'm looking at it the opposite direction. When Julius is not playing well, what is this offense and how much does the structure of this offense flow into Julius not playing well? What I mean by that is the Knicks have had essentially nothing going on off the ball and with the way the Hawks are guarding Randall, which is whatever wing or, I mean, occasionally it's been like Trey Young if, if the Knicks get that matchup, but usually a wing, whatever wing is on Randall, Clint Capella or, or whoever the big in the game is, is always shading behind that defender. So Randall seeing two defenders and then the other three guys on the court are all staring at Julius Randall. You can take advantage of that as an offense. If you're doing creative things off the ball, whether it's someone running off of a couple of screens for a three, someone ducking in for a cut, or or even just consistently having an outlet in the right area when he decides to make his move. Um, But what we've consistently seen is, is Randall is freezing up against that double team, and he's not able to generate the types of looks that have been the lifeblood of the Knicks offense all season. And I, I think we haven't really questioned what Tibbs is doing from a creativity perspective because Randall was just that good during the regular season and he could create stuff out of thin air out of a matchup in, in terms of his ability to to now shoot and draw out a defender and then once that defender is drawn out he either hit a three in his face or more often beat him off the dribble pass the ball and start off a, a swing swing sequence that resulted in someone on the Knicks whether it was Emmanuel quickly whether it was Derrick Rose whether it was RJ Barrett attacking a scramble defense what we've seen this series is the Hawks' defense is essentially, at least when the starters are in there, and particularly when Capella's in there, they're almost never in scramble mode. They always get to be set. And we're seeing the Knicks' relative lack of offensive talent shine through because who's the only guy on this team that can consistently win off a standstill? It's Derrick Rose. Who's the, who's the only guy on this team who's had three great offensive games? It's Derrick Rose, who was, and we can get into it later, but he, he was an offensive hero in this one, 30 points. Six boards, five assists, amazing, amazing game. Uh, somehow still played 39 minutes, even though this game was basically over at halftime. But that's that's another story. There's not another guy on this roster, Alec Burks in game one aside, who's been able to do anything against a stagnant defense. And this defense, by and large, has been stagnant. And, and we're seeing the cracks in the veneers of all these guys we thought made these massive leaps throughout the season. Reggie Bullock, he's not getting spoon-fed his, his study diet of dribble handoffs or, or throwbacks from Julius. All of a sudden, he's, he looks pretty inefficient. Um, Taj Gibson, I'm not going to say a bad word about Taj Gibson. R.J. Barrett, two for nine. As bad as Randall has been in this series, R.J. hasn't been that much better. 34% for the series on, on right around 40 shots. That's that's not great. <laughs> that's, that's not the R.J. Barrett that got votes for the most improved player in the NBA this year. Obi Toppin tonight, again, not a guy I necessarily want to go out and critique because he, he was fine. But we saw what happened when he had to attack off of a standstill when, when Nerlens tipped out that loose ball in the second quarter and he just raced in and threw up an air ball of a floater. Uh, Nerlens Noel somehow shot 12 free throws in this game. Again, nothing to complain about there. He's playing injured. The one thing I'll say about Nerlens Noel is he could have had a lot more points in this game because he was open under the rim like 
I, I counted four times where he didn't get the ball and would have had an easy dunk. I, I do think the guards are, are hesitant to throw him lobs because he's clearly not at 100%. And you saw it when quickly threw him that lob and he came down with it and, and got fouled instead of jamming it. Um, again, story for another day. Alec Burks, two for eight. One nice three. Didn't do anything else. Emmanuel quickly, two for eight. Part of it is him. He, he's missing some shots that he should make. But he's also, again, having to create off of a standstill. And with quickly, part of the issue is we saw the repercussions of moving Derrick Rose into the starting lineup where there was a lot more pressure on quickly in that second unit and he wasn't quite up for it. I got sidetracked there a couple of times. My premise was that this there, there's no one on this team outside of Rose who's built to beat a defense that isn't in movement. And if Julius Randle can't manufacture that on his own, it's on Tom Thibodeau to do it through scream. And he he's, either hasn't been able to make the necessary adjustments or it's just too tall of a task for this Knicks team that all year has sort of relied on Randall to spoon feed guys and is now no longer able to do it. Yeah, I, I feel you. You know, the, the creation has been a huge problem. And the other thing, too, is just not – I mean, I guess it, it all comes back to Randall. It, it, everything does because Randall was literally – he was the engine for this team this year. So if he's not reading the defense properly, if he's not responding – I, I do give the Hawks credit. I mean, Nate McMillan clearly thought up a really interesting defensive wrinkle to throw at Julius that he hadn't seen the the whole season, basically, which is at all the time, you know, leading up to this point, he had seen either single coverage or hard doubles. So he was, you know, either just getting, you know, one defender on him, which the Hawks did on him previously. They would just have John Collins on him a lot. And I mean, he made absolute barbecue chicken out of John Collins in those situations. Um, or, you know, from other teams, he would see those really hard doubles that they would send at him like immediately the second that he touched the ball. And that would always leave someone open. And Julius just displayed that vision to always find that person. What they're doing differently now is that they're just like, it's, I guess you would call it like a soft double. It's, they have like usually Capella just, sort of cheating off of whoever the center is, be it Taj, be it Noel, and just kind of daring Julius to try anything. And I think that those those momentary lapses where Julius then has to take an extra, you know, second, two seconds, whatever, to process things and say, okay, well, you know, they've got Capella waiting there, so I can't really drive in because even if I go for a pass, he might be able to disrupt the pass. Like, uh, if I go for a shot, he definitely has a good chance to block me. If I try to, you know, just kind of pass it now, they might have me, they might have me red, you know, they might have an idea of what I'm trying to do. If I shoot it now, this isn't a great shot because I'm still pretty well defended, whatever. And it just makes life really difficult for him uh, as far as, you know, playmaking or scoring, you know, whereas before it used to kind of be, if you throw a single coverage at him, Julius is going to drop 25 to 30 points on you, guaranteed. And, you know, he's going to do it a variety of ways from three, from the mid-range, jab steps, you know, a little bit of finishing inside, whatever, get some free throws, the whole the whole deal. And, you know, we saw some other games where when he would get doubled, he would shoot a pretty terrible percentage. It would be like, you know, you might get like a like a six for 20 game out of him or something. But a lot of those games he was finishing with like triple doubles and they were like well-earned triple doubles because he would score what he had to do to keep the defense interested in him and keep doubling him, but then was just so adept at breaking that double team apart and finding someone open in the corner or finding someone, you know, cutting to the hoop or what have you and making the play. So this sort of like 
one and a half mode defense is is really screwing with them, I think. Um, but th- that leads to another thing too, though, which is I think that because of the fact that Julius isn't actually, you know what? Let's let me, let me save this point. I have a point about how the the I just think the the offense is lacking something because of the fact that Julius can't break things down anymore. But the Knicks could solve it. But let's uh, let's go to our second break real quick, Gavin. Um, do you want to tell everybody real quick about Bet Online before I get into this next point? Yeah, we'll do. So if you're betting on a big Knicks comeback in Game Four, or you've seen enough, you think Atlanta's going to win this series, there is a place you can put some money down. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if, it's a very big if, use our promo code LOCKEDON. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. I think I've gotten all the mileage, get it, car pun, out of this story that I can get, but I'm going to use it one more time and then retire it on this episode. So fun story. I uh, Well, not so fun for me. I was driving my car the other day, driving back from the grocery store with my wife, and all of a sudden, my check engine light, my traction control light, and my cruise control light popped on in my Subaru Forester. I was like, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? And then I'm like turning off the radio. I'm like, shh, shh, don't say anything. I need to listen to the engine. Nothing sounds weird. I get home and I start Googling it, being like, oh man, do I have to take this to the shop? And lo and behold, my gas cap got left off by a gas attendant. I'm in New Jersey. We don't pump our own gas here. So someone left it sitting on top of a a gas uh, pump somewhere and it's gone forever. So I need a new gas new gas cap uh because otherwise i was gonna go nuts with those check engine lights on all the time so i hit up rockauto.com and of course they came in with the lowest possible price they even managed to beat jeff bezos and amazon if you could believe that almost having their price uh rockauto.com was a little over five dollars and jeff bezos and amazon came in just under ten dollars just insanity you can beat amazon by almost 50 percent So if you want to stick it to the man and go to a family-run business that's been in business online for over 20 years and wants to take care of you rather than the big evil corporation like Amazon, head to rockauto.com right now and check out all the parts available for your car truck. I guarantee you'll find some cool stuff, maybe for some repairs now that the weather's getting nicer. And if you decide to get something right locked on in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, we're back. That's it. No more ads. Uh, I, I read the iTunes reviews. I know you guys don't like the ads, but we need to get paid somehow. Anyway, uh, so to get to my point that I, I left off before we uh, before we like went to the ad break there, I the big thing I think is that the Knicks, by virtue of letting or not letting Randall, but but by by virtue of the fact that Randall is getting so disheveled by this this new defensive concept that the Hawks are throwing at him, they're just not really doing anything else with the other players on the court to 
make things harder for the Hawks. So Julius is still doing his thing where he's trying to break down the defense and get inside and kick out to guys, but they're largely just like gluing John Collins and Trey Young to players on the perimeter. You know, like Trey Young, this whole series basically, and especially in this game, was just glued to Reggie Bullock. And Trey Young is a terrible defender. I mean, they the Knicks should be doing everything that they can to generate a mismatch where someone, I mean, I think Julius Randle would be candidate A, like by a mile, try to do something, anything to get Trey Young on Julius Randle one-on-one. I mean, try to get uh, Trey Young on Derrick Rose one-on-one. Try to get him on Emmanuel quickly. Get him on anybody that has any scoring ability whatsoever. RJ Barrett, who could back him down super easily. You want like a real easy way to get to get RJ involved in the game? Let him back down Trey Young and make a couple easy layups on the inside. And see how quick his confidence shoots through the roof. I mean, they should be targeting Trey Young constantly. They should also be trying to get John Collins on Julius Randle all the time. Other, the other thing that's concerning about that is that Randle, you know, even when he has Collins or like Danilo Gallinari, who's like a horrendous defender. I mean, Gallo can't guard anybody at this point in his career. He is not a good defender at all versus threes versus fours versus any position on the court. He cannot guard them. So the fact that like Randall is, is not able to take advantage of those matchups right now, I think goes a long way in showing like just how shot his confidence is right now. But the Knicks need to just like, like get Reggie Bullock moving around, like set some off ball screens, let Reggie like, you know, take a little curl off an off ball screen and, and spot up for a three that way and try to, you know, get him the ball off of uh, some, you know, around the perimeter movement or even get Julius as far in as he can while simultaneously running that action to then let Julius kick it to Reggie for a three. I mean, they're just not doing anything to, to flummox the Hawks and you're not doing anything to more importantly, tire out guys like Trey young on the defensive end. And then letting them just go off on offense because Trey Young is essentially only playing 50% of the game right now. He barely has to do anything to keep Reggie Bullock under control. And the Knicks are trying like really ill-fated crap with Reggie like, oh, Reggie, run the pick and roll. It's like Reggie Bullock is like like Clay Thompson or something. Like he can't dribble. Like do the Warriors give the ball to Clay Thompson and say, hey, run sets for us? Like, no, they never do that because they know that Clay Thompson exists to spot up and shoot off movement so like why are you not doing that with reggie bullock right now it just it doesn't make any sense to me gavin i i i think that bullock is honestly the main one where i just kind of look at it and i'm like this is a, a guy that if you use him properly is dangerous i don't understand why you're not using him and as a result you're just kind of wasting a really good three-point shooter by letting trey young just kind of stay glued to his jersey the whole game at the three-point line and, you know, you're also, like, not creating any mismatches by trying to separate Trey Young from him just in any way. You know, run like a like a 2-4 pick and roll or, you know, an inverse pick and roll with Randall as the ball handler and Reggie as the screener. See if that works. And you know what? If, you know, they go under that screen, Randall can punish them. And maybe that's how Randall finally gets an open three-pointer to try to punish these guys. There's just so many things that, like, we've talked about previously that we've even seen the Knicks execute during the regular season that they're just not even attempting right now. And they're just kind of falling into these doldrums of just being like, well, let's just, you know, give it to Julius and and let him cook and see what happens. Except for Julius is literally, as you know, I said earlier in the show, shooting worse than anybody's ever shot 
over a three-game playoff stretch in NBA history with over 50 field goal attempts in three games. Uh, so I don't know. There's so much that needs to change, Gavin. But I, I can't quite put my my finger on on like one thing that would do it. But I think that the Knicks need to try a bunch of different little things to make this work on offense. Because truth be told, truth be told, their defense has not been that bad, and their rebounding has actually been pretty good too. Like the Hawks have not scored a ton of points in this series. They barely cracked a hundred in their wins. So. I, I think if the Knicks can just find a way to to do what they can to like score a few more points, if you could score 105, you could probably beat the Hawks, you know, in the next game. And so just find a way to get up to 105 points again against a team that whose calling card was never defense this season. I mean, even under Nate McMillan, the Hawks were never this like prime San Antonio Spurs looking like super innovative defense that all of a sudden is like flummoxing the Knicks. Like they're very exploitable if you just do the right things. And yes, they're, they're showing wrinkles, but that's why you get days off between games to watch film, figure these things out and attack it a different way. And right now it just kind of seems like they keep trying to jam the square peg in the round hole and expect it to work in the next game. And I I just don't get it. Yeah, Alex, I'm, I'm in total agreement. I, I think I actually have what might be a more, radical solution that to be clear i i would bet a limb will not actually happen because tibbs and maybe maybe this is his great weakness and and look i'm i'll i'll circle back to what i said um when the knicks hired him and throughout the season it seemed sacrilegious and now it's starting to look more like it might be the truth um he might be the he might be the mark jackson to someone else's steve kerr he might be the coach that that rebuilds the culture and in doing so provides an, an, an invaluable measure, right? Not, not a lot of people could do that, could restructure the Knicks. People have been trying for 20 years. It hasn't worked. Um, but he might not be the coach that you win a championship with because I, I just don't know if he's innovative enough offensively. And he's had two chances to adjust off of the Hawks' game one wrinkles, and he hasn't been able to do it. Um, so let me, I'm, I'm going to help him out. Here's something kind of radical. Maybe it wouldn't work. But I think it's necessary because to your point, they have been really, really good defensively in the series. Like even in this game, and granted, the Hawks, the Hawks could have scored way more than 19 in the fourth quarter. They took the they took the foot off the pedal. They they probably could have gotten to 115. But that being said, they shot 59% from three, made 16 threes, and still only got 105 points. That's a decent indicator that there there are flaws with this Hawks team, and as beatable as they look tonight, um, you, you can feasibly outscore them and to me the way to do that is to bench the centers maybe not for the entire game but for most of the game because I as as well as Nerlens Noel played tonight I think it was a little fluky with the free throw shooting I mean he literally had a career high and made free throws and Taj he's been immensely useful but offensively whenever he's thing sorry not to interrupt too much but the other thing with Nerlens was that they were basically targeting him for uh that like trip video that came out where he tripped Trey Young in the last game or whatever. I mean, there was definitely like the second Nerlens checked in for the first like five minutes, it was just all retaliation fouls on him for like five straight minutes, including that flagrant by by Herter. And like I think Solomon Hill fouled him at one point too. I mean just they essentially sent Solomon Hill in to be a goon. But anyway, sorry not to totally derail your point there. No, no, it's all good. Um and and my point was um with Gibson, I think he provides a value 
The issue is um, to what we've been saying throughout the podcast. When he's in there, Capella can can basically ignore him, right? Like like Gibson got one of his buckets this game. Is Trey Young somehow ended up on him? That that's the amount of attention that the Hawks are, are putting Taj Gibson's way. And because of that, you're getting zero ball movement. The Knicks finished this game with 14 assists. The Hawks conversely had 28 assists. Um, outside of Derrick Rose, no one on the Knicks finished with more than three assists in this game. The ball was not pumping around. The way to unclog the floor is to go small, is to not play a center and to rotate between Julius Randle and Obi Toppin at the five spot. So here's the lineup I would go with. Uh, Frank, I, I know I know that's sacrilegious for some people, but hear me out. Frank, Derek Rose, R.J. Barrett, um, maybe I'm going to throw Alec Burks in there, either Alec Burks or Reggie Bullock, whoever you want in, and then Randle at the center spot. So you're playing really, really small, you're giving something up on the glass. You're putting yourself in a lot of pain in terms of Capella rim running. But here's where I think it makes sense. The Knicks are building their heart of their defense around the center position right now. And they're doing so without a high-level defensive center who's 100%. Scratch that. Taj Gibson, high-level defensive center. Apology. But Nerlens Noel, not nearly 100% on that end. And you can see it. He's not... He's not wrecking plays the way he was during the regular season. And there's no Mitchell Robinson, obviously. So you're already getting diminishing returns from that spot. And instead of structuring it from the back end, why not structure it from the front end and have Frank, the one guy who can bother Trey Young, go at the point of attack. And Young is the one guy. Like It's this weird thing with Atlanta where they have all these amazing weapons, right? You have Collins, who's a rim runner who can shoot threes. You have Bogey, who's playing like one of the best three-point shooters in the league. You have Herter, you have Gallo, two more great shooters. Um, you, you have DeAndre Hunter, who, who maybe will be an all-star in a couple of years, but isn't quite there yet. you got a lot of guys. But Young is the Young is sort of the skeleton key for their whole offense. He, he's the only one who, who makes it work collectively. And granted, look, Lou, Lou Will had a pretty good game today. Their bench unit was doing well. I'll, I'll give them credit for that. I, I don't think it's super sustainable. They, they've had issues all year when they played their bench against the Knicks. Given that, I'd rather just focus on Trey. And, and I think Frank is the guy to do that. And the Knicks, by playing a center as, no pun intended, the centerpiece of their defense, are basically trying to clean up a problem that has already been created. With Frank, you're trying to prevent the problem from becoming a problem in the first place in terms of stopping Young from getting that initial penetration. And look, Trey's one of the best players in the league. He absolutely toasted Frank on the final play of game one. I'm not saying he's he's a magical solution. You're still going to have your issues with that. But he can hold him off just enough that an offense that is fully open can rain fire on the Hawks. I'm talking Julius Rim running, Capella, as good as he is, I, I don't know if he'd quite be able to keep up with Julius Randle when he had to respect the three-point shot and the fact that Randle could just pop out. And, and and you're laced with shooters all over the floor. All of a sudden, there are wide-open lanes for R.J. Barrett. Derek Rose, who's been absolutely dominant this series with the clog lane, They have the Hawks have had zero answer for him. He, he's going to be shooting 60% from the field. I mean, he already was. He was 13 of 21 today. He was incredible. Maybe we'll get to that before we wrap up. But I, I think that really turns around the series for Barrett. I think it opens up stuff for all your shooters because all of a sudden you're getting driving kicks. And, and this offense that has been completely plugged up will, will flow like the Nile. I, I, I think you absolutely need that to change the series. And, and I'm, I'm, telling, I'm kind of forcing Julius Randle into a position where he has to be aggressive because all of a sudden like he's, he's the guy who has to get defensive rebounds because if, if he doesn't, no one else is going to do it. He's the guy on offense who has to catch the ball on the run 
and make plays. But he actually has some forward momentum instead of just seeing double teams every single time. It's a radical solution because, unfortunately, Tibbs wasn't – I mean, this is a point our guy Schwinn made – Tibbs wasn't very experimental during the regular season, and the Knicks are, are paying the piper for that right now, where they don't have these alt lineups and, and these alt looks to throw out the Hawks because they haven't experimented with them. Now's the time to get a little crazy and do it, because if not, I, I just don't see the Knicks winning this series because w- w- with, a, with a five-man that the Hawks can just ignore, their offense is going to be too stuffed up. And I, I just, I, I, as much as you can say there's meat on the bone for Randall to improve, even in this current scenario, which I would agree with, I, I think it's easier said than done. And I, I think the easiest solution is to just go small. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, the, you do you have to you have to try some stuff in this next game if things are not looking good early on because it's literally at this point if they go down three one the series is over. I mean, they might maybe maybe for my sake because I'm going to game five maybe they'll win game five turn this into a six game series, but it's not going past that if they lose the game on Sunday. I, I'm sorry, like this team is not it as far as coming back from the three, one deficit, like they're, they're not going to do it. Um, I just, I think that the talent level is too even, you know, it's not like this is fluky and you know, that, um, you know, the, the Hawks are getting ahead of them for no reason, you know, and it's just kind of like, Oh, it's all coming down to like one possession, you know, whatever, like, Oh, there's a couple bad rolls the Knicks way, whatever. You can maybe argue that for the first game, but, and, and I mean, I guess, conversely, we would be having a very different discussion if the Knicks were up 2-1 right now and had been up 2-0. We would be saying, oh, well, just shake this one off. But as it stands, I mean, this is, if you look at this just from a from a micro perspective rather than a macro perspective of just like the, the total series as a whole, you know, the first game was probably, I would say easily their best one as a total effort, you know. They had a, a pretty good effort all the way through. It was just a tight game between two evenly matched teams. The Hawks make the last shot, you know, whatever. There was some, you know, obviously there was the late game execution stuff that we can quibble about, the late game officiating we can quibble about, whatever. Fine, that game, you know, that's the the swing game or whatever. Second game, I mean, the Knicks for, you know, the first two quarters of that really had no business being on the same floor as the Hawks. And then the second half were like far and away better than them. And in this game, all four quarters, the Knicks had no business being on the same floor. So if you're keeping tabs at home, it's like, all right, four quarters of the first game, essentially a draw. And then two quarters that the Knicks were definitely the better team. And six quarters so far that the Knicks like didn't even look like they were playing the same sport as the Hawks. So they need to get better. They need to they need to adjust. They need to try some new stuff. They need to I mean, like you said, maybe try some things that they haven't tried at all yet. I, I don't understand how Frank didn't hit the floor for at least a little bit in this game. I mean, throw him in there when they're on in the midst of that 22 to three run. See if he can do anything. I mean, he's your supposed defensive specialist, right? Call a timeout, get him in there. We saw how fired up he was to get 20 seconds of play time in two, two separate shifts in game one, you know, and one of which obviously gave up the winning basket, but He's clearly fired up and wants to be out there. Throw him out there. Let's see what he has. You know, see if he can cause some disruptions. We've seen a number of times where Frank goes out there and, and creates things with his length and with his defensive ability. Give him a chance in the playoffs. Why not? What do you have to lose at this point when you see guys like, I mean, he could essentially, in theory, go out there and provide you Reggie Bullock with a little bit more ball handling ability, which if Reggie Bullock had more ball handling ability right now, 
the Knicks would be able to take advantage of Trey Young way, way more than they have been. So maybe that works for you. I mean, I don't know. It's just it, not to sound like I'm boiling this down, like play Frank and you're going to win the series. But that's just one of those different things that I would have tried, particularly in this game where you're just like, you know, you're floundering the whole game. Throw a different player out there. See what happens. Throw freaking down the stretch of this game. Throw Jared Harper out there. Who cares? I mean, maybe he finds some lightning in a bottle. Like, it, that's kind of a joke, but kind of not as well. You know, it, there's just there's different things you can try. And when you're losing and, you know, it, there's basically no way to climb out of it, just throw some shit at the wall and see what sticks, you know, and. I think that's what they got to do. And I'm in total agreement with you, Gavin. Unfortunately, they didn't do a lot of experimenting during the regular season. So this is literally going to be on the fly stuff during the postseason, which is not ideal, but you got to do something different. And, and maybe going small is the thing that turns the tide in this series. I'm going to throw one other adjustment out there that I, I meant to mention, and that's getting RJ Barrett some time with the bench unit, because I mean, we, we said it in game one and two, but it, it was, it was pretty apparent that nothing really changed in terms of Tibbs's philosophy of which, or I should say non-philosophy because he doesn't seem to be thinking about RJ Barrett or remembering that he's on the team right now um, to get him going, which is to get him with the bench guys. And I was, I was kind of surprised. We didn't see more of that around the end of the regular season. I don't know if you remember, but when Rose, turned his ankle for that stretch. It might've even happened a bit when Rose was out with COVID. We got a bunch of RJ with the bench guys. And I mean, tonight it would have made so much sense because it's sort of the same logic when you have Rose with the starters and that bench unit that's been so dominant all year. And, and particularly in this series, I mean, the, the Knicks would, would not have a game in this series if they hadn't played the way they had in game two. Um, but they clearly need a little bit more playmaking juice when they don't have Rose. And RJ shined in that role earlier in the year because you gave him a lineup, uh, unlike the starting unit, which obviously, I mean, we, we it's it's amazing. It, it tells you how bad this game went that we're 42 minutes in and haven't even mentioned the fact that Alfred Payton didn't start this game. I, I'm, I'm going to give us a clap on the back. That's pretty incredible. Um, but uh, See what happens when yeah. you don't play him, though. He's not a topic then. <laughs> it's, it's great. Just don't play him, Tibbs, and then we won't talk about him. It's great. Um, anywho, uh, my, my point being, um, the starters, not a lot of, not a lot of spacing this entire year clogged for not really ideal for RJ and he, and he made dupe because he turned himself into a great shooter by the end of the year. But especially now that that shot is abandoning him in this series and it, it, it is well gone. I think what, what does he make? He's like one for 11 from three in the series, something like that. Um, he needs that open floor to get to the rim. And now my, my small ball solution would, would work for him in that respect as well. But the, the even easier way to do that and less radical way to do that is just playing him with the bench unit that is stocked with shooters, especially now that Obi Toppin seems relatively reliable from distance and, and giving him chances to create offense. Because right now, Emmanuel quickly, I mean, frankly, he seems overtaxed in, in the role. It seems like it's a little bit too much for him. And I'm sure he'll have a game this series. Maybe it's maybe it's game five and it's too late where he gets hot and he gets really going and uh, that everything flows well in the second unit. But I think RJ, with his ability to get to the basket at this point in his career, is a little bit more of a reliable game-to-game option to help guide and lead that second unit. And and again, the real point here is RJ's life is just much easier. And he'll be given the ball in situations where he has the autonomy to handle it and attack instead of just being expected to catch and shoot or move it along. Because we're, we're so rarely seeing RJ get touches early in the possession. And it's because Julius Randle sees the double team, gets paralyzed, and all of a sudden there's 
seven seconds left on the shot clock. And, and RJ even, like his play of the game was a shot that didn't even count. It was when he caught the ball, had a rip through, hit a mid-range jumper, but it was after the shot clock because he, he just, he got it too late. So that would be my solution for that going forward. But Alex, um, we've gone way too long on a game that was way too bad. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up my final point by saying one final time, shout out to Derek Rose, the one guy who, I, I mean, look, look, Nerland's had a pretty good game. Obi was fine, but the one guy who really, really showed up. And I, I just, I, I've run out of words for how spectacular he's been in the second half of the year. If you told me he'd be dropping 36 and five in a playoff game on 13 or 21 shooting, Three of five from distance, somehow with just one free throw, I would have called you insane, but it remains the trade of the year. And his his just gutsiness in these moments, like even it didn't really feel like a big deal just because the Knicks didn't end up coming back off it. But the way he just immediately got to the rim and got a layup when when the Hawks were going on that big run, it just feels like in this series, maybe it's just an exceptionally good matchup for him, but it feels like he can get whatever he wants when he wants. And it, it's a joy to watch that guy figure out something so late in his basketball life. So shout out to D Rose and uh, praying for a better Knicks performance going forward. Yeah. I got no better note than that to end this show on. So uh, we can wrap up today's podcast. Of course, if you want to hear about what's going on in the rest of sports, you can always check out the locked on today podcast, get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with Locked On Today and host Peter Bukowski. He'll update you on all the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts, sometimes including us. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. And uh, that's been it for today. Thank you all so much for listening. And hopefully we'll be back on Monday with some uh, more rosy news about a Knicks win. But until next time, peace out. We will talk to you.